David, you've heard the the phrase turning lemons into lemonade. Sure. Right? Uh, well, one one main woman is, is taking that uh, phrase a little, maybe a little too far. So a woman from Maine. Oh, yes. A woman from the state of Maine. Okay. Uh, instead of lemons into lemonade. Sure. Uh, she's turning um, moose turds into cash. What? Like alchemy? <laughs> kind of. <laughs> so, uh, Mary Wicken, which, Wicken, Winkenbach. Where's the, where's the, where's it written down? Let me, let me check the spelling. Right there. Win, Winchenbach. Winchenbach. I don't probably know. Pennsylvania Dutch. I'm gonna go with. I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna go with Winkenbach. Okay, probably wrong. Uh, she has a. Yeah, bit... <laughs> you're probably wrong too. Anyway, uh, one of my variations is probably correct. She she uh, started this business called Turdy Works. Turdy Works, uh, where essentially she makes art from moose droppings. I'm sorry. What? Yes. So uh, luckily we have some um, some audio so we can hear Mary in her own words. Audio courtesy of KJRH uh, TV out of Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, oh, okay, because- okay, okay. <laughs> so this is a woman from Maine. Yes. And we're talking about moose poop. Yes. And a station in Tulsa, Oklahoma, Tulsa, Oklahoma picked the story up. Yes. There's, okay. David, there's not a whole lot going on in Tulsa. Apparently not. <laughs> Go across the country to get some moose poop news. Anyways, so let, let's hear from from Mary's uh, own mouth why you know why she started this business. Everyone takes a crap. Everyone goes to the bathroom, so everyone can relate to that. And every the terms that I use to name these products are everyday terms that you know people are used to hearing and stuff. So we just kind of you just try to you know combine the two to, to come up with something halfway decent that's funny, you know. For example, the first thing that we make now, instead of a cuckoo clock, see, this is a poopoo clock. And what we did see is we took them turds and we crammed them in between the number there, so that's 132, 33. <laughs> so I don't, I don't know if we have um, some kind of presidential medal. <laughs> I think this baby merits the presidential medal, uh, the, the freedom. I don't, there's, something, there's something that you got to honor exceptional U.S. citizens with, whatever that is. I am lightheaded right now. One thirty, two thirty, three thirty. Oh, my gosh. So, okay. What, what a phenomenal woman. Uh, what ingenuity, <laughs> what creativity. Um, I'm interested to know what, what else uh, Mary has to offer. There's more? Oh, there's more. Now, over here, we make fecal people. And depending upon the shape of them middle turds right there, we can do them with big boobs or guts or butts or long legs or short legs. See, because there's no two turds that are ever alike. Have you ever seen a turd, the two turds alike? So obviously, <laughs> but much more available than the, the poo-poo clock, you've got the fecal people. And, <laughs> and as, as we know, as Mary has told us, and I think all of us can confirm, no two turds are alike. So... I mean, you can you can ask for the custom order, but you can, I think you get what you get. Uh, speaking of what, like, I'm curious about how she she sources her material, right? It sounds like she just goes out to the woods with a pooper scooper. <laughs> Not a lot of overhead. Yeah. Well, luckily for us, Mary Mary tells us. All right, let's let's keep listening. There's to Mary. more. Oh, there's more. The turds are all local. We just go out and track the moose, and, and wherever the moose are, they're going to take a crap. And I, I have found that when a moose takes a dump, 
you walk about 50 yards in any direction and they take another dump. And when a moose takes a dump, they'll crap out between two and 400 turds every time they, they take a crap. So it's like, I, I get five bucks a turd for these things. So I get jumping right up and down. I get excited when I see a turd. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, $5 a turd. I think I'm in the wrong business. If, all, if, if I knew all you had to do was stock moose, keep them well-fed and hydrated, and, uh, I mean, she's, that's her retirement right there, right? I guess you just you stock the moose, you, you wait until it's, it's done doing its thing, and then uh, 200 to 400 turns later. <laughs> you're uh, rolling in the dew. Oh, oh. it's so <laughs> really bad. You know, uh, our audience didn't see the, uh, the video clip of that, but one of my favorite parts of that entire clip was on the bottom left corner was the little Burger King logo. <laughs> oh, gross. <laughs> That's all I could look at. It was like Mustard Burger King, Mustard Burger King. I'm sure like Burger King PR like called the station was like, get our logo off the moose poop story now. Uh, well, I don't know how we're supposed to do this show after that, but my face hurts, my stomach hurts. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Let's give it the old college try. Wrong. Moose Poop Mary. <laughs> this is Subjectively Correct Sports, the only podcast in the known universe featuring a couple of guys talking about sports and moose poop. I'm telling you, Moose Poop Mary. She's a national treasure. We're going to read about her. Our kids are going to read about her in their history books. My goodness. Hey, uh, guess what, Anthony? It's almost 8.30. <laughs> oh my goodness, it is almost 8.30. Right? Getting a little bit of a late start, but it was worth it for that video clip. My gosh. You can find our show on iTunes and Google Play. Please subscribe. If you haven't subscribed already, which I don't think there's anyone in the world after that moose poop. No, oh, yeah. That we're, won't subscribe. We're, we're going to ride Mary's coattails. That's right. That's right. Just the way she rides the moose poop tails or poop trails. Oh, oh. that would have been better. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh well. We'll fix it in post. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think there's any saving that. So Anthony, we're lucky I'm here today. Oh yeah. Uh, well, on the drive-in. I feel lucky every day you're here. Oh, thank you. I, I feel the that same. That was in the script. I don't. I it was in the script. I didn't write that. That was weird. So wait, is in the script? It's in the script, but you didn't write it. How yeah. did it get there? So you're think, saying I, I wrote think, it? I think I'm implying that you. Oh, that does sound like the implication. I don't know. That writing was too good to be my writing. I don't think it was me. Anyway, so I'm driving in, right? And I, I get off the freeway and I'm driving towards your house and I'm at a stoplight. And I hear like a sound like like uh, like Thor's about to land. It sounds like <laughs> okay. lightning, okay? It's like bzzz, like yeah. electricity sound. That buzzing electricity sound you hear in like TV shows or video games or something that indicates lightning's a coming or there's electricity going somewhere. Okay. And I start looking around because the sound doesn't stop. Yeah. And to the right of me, like 20 feet away, yeah. I see sparks coming from a from a power from a power line that's attached to a wooden power pole. Oh wow! And I'm mesmerized by this, and I'm just going, "Oh my gosh, what is happening here?" And it keeps going, and it keeps yeah. going, and I think it's got to stop eventually. I'm like, "What do I do? I'm in traffic. I can't just drive somewhere else. I'm yeah. stuck here next to this live electricity arcing right in this power pole." And then, the power pole catches on fire. Oh. So I do the only thing I could do. The light turned green, and I drove away. Right. I mean, what else do you want? I can't do anything else. You're, you are not equipped to deal with that situation. No, I am not. And so I drive away, and I'm like, well, I hope for the best. I'm looking in the rearview mirror, expecting to see, like, the whole power pole in flames. But I don't know. I don't know what happened. I don't know if I can drive that same way home tonight. Yeah. We'll see. Wow. Well, I, I'm glad you made it uh, as, as arrowing as that tail sounds. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm glad you're here. 
Um, and uh, hopefully you're now at ease. You got a good laugh, a good belly laugh from from good Mary. My face hurts. <laughs> St. Mary. Yeah. And, David, it was actually a, a really good sports weekend, and we've got a really good sports week ahead of us. And uh, October's here. And you know what October means. Halloween? Preseason NBA basketball. Oh, okay. So I went for the Halloween joke. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you went for the preseason basketball joke. Exactly. But everyone's actually thinking about NHL preseason. Gritty. That's right. Gritty's the delight. More gritty. No. No, no, no. We're going we're gonna to table NBA preseason talk for at least 20 minutes, okay? What Heaven I w- help me. <laughs> what I want to get to first, though, is baseball because... The regular season has ended, and the real season is beginning. That's right. It only took us 162. How many games is it? I got it wrong on my previous episode. Well, normally, it is 162 games. Right. What did I say? You you had said 156. Whatever. I was close. That's close enough. But this season, uh, four teams played 163 games. Mm -hmm. Uh, So what had happened was, what happened was, was that the Cubs and the Brewers, who were both in the NL Central, ended up with the the same record at the end of the year. And baseball doesn't have, like, head-to-head tiebreakers for division winners, and so they end up playing an extra game. They played game 163, the Brewers won, so the Brewers, having the best record in the National League and winning their division, will host the winner of the wild card game, which the Cubs will are now a participant in. In fact, we're watching it while we record. The Cubs are playing the Rockies, and the Rockies are in the wild card game because they played the Dodgers because they ended up with the same record as the Dodgers, so they played a game 163 as well. The Dodgers won. So how it all shakes out now is you have the Brewers as the one seed in the, in the National League, you have the Dodgers as the two seed. They're hosting the Braves, who are the three seed. And then Cubs four, Rockies five. Cubs and Rockies playing right now. The winner goes on, advances to play the Brewers. The loser goes home. One game playoff, one game of elimination. Wild card games are very exciting. Um, super stressful as a fan. Luckily, the Dodgers have won their division six years in a row, so I haven't uh, had to experience that for a while. But, um, but very nerve-wracking when you get down to that single elimination game. And it's crazy that after 162 games, the separation between two teams in the same division was exactly zero games. Yeah. That's pretty incredible. Baseball's nuts like that. And uh, I'm sure you were just going nuts yesterday because uh, you were at work while the game was going on. And I asked you, can you watch the game at work? And you were like, no, I'm on a conference call. Yeah. And I was like, oh, bummer. Yeah, uh, luckily I kind of I had it pulled up on on my phone, the little kind of GameCast thing, so I was able to, to check in every once in a while. Uh, but as soon as I got in my car to drive home, I flipped it up on the, on the radio, and uh, I don't typically hoot and holler when I'm by myself. What does but, that sound like? Woo! Yeah! Woo! <laughs> that kind of, you know, something like that. I am I was pumped. I was doing that in my car. I bet and, you were. Hands in the air because the Dodgers uh, were doing well. Cody Bellinger hit a two-run home run early. Max Muncy followed up with a, a two-run home run. Max, Max Muncy, that funky Muncy, that swing man. Yeah. Um, and and uh, so the Dodgers ended up ended up winning their <clears throat> their game one sixty-three, and the playoffs are all they're all set now. Uh, we won't go into each of the the matchups because. I don't think anyone's tuning in to hear our breakdown of the 
yeah, if, <laughs> of the if divisions. You, if you want that series. information, if you want that information, Google it. Yeah, um, but I just want to take a, a look back at this season. Really, just a couple of things. Looking back and looking forward. Just so one of my favorite stats from this this regular season, this baseball regular season, um, is about Chris Davis. He's the DH for the Athletic, the Oakland A's, the Athletics. Um, so he's 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 a he's a home run hitter, right? He does not bat for average, okay? Um, but he does have he's maybe the most consistent baseball player ever. Okay, but you you just said he doesn't hit for average. No, but his average ju- doesn't change from year to year. What what do you mean? He batted 247 for the fourth straight year. So 2018, 2017, 2016, 2015, each of those years his batting average was 247. Get out of here. Meaning out of every 1,000 at-bats, he hit the ball 247 times each of those four years. And the year before that, it was 244. No way. His career batting average is 248. <laughs> so this guy is basically within like four one-thousandths of a, <laughs> of a percentage for his batting average every year. That is, when you go into contract negotiations with Chris Davis, you know exactly what you're going to get. You're going to get 247 and 30 home runs, right? That's what you're going to get every yeah. year. No, he, he's, he's incredible. And, and of his, you know, he had, I, I don't know exactly how many hits he had this past year. I think it was like 148 or something like that. But he had 48 home runs. He averaged a home run every third hit. Okay. That, that, is, that is today's Major League Baseball. That's what that is. We've, they've realized that a single is not as valuable as a home run. Yeah. Crazy, right? And they also realize that in a lot of cases, especially when there are runners on bases, a flyout is better than a, a, a double play, right? So these guys like Chris Davis are like, you know what? I'm not going to get a lot of hits, but I'm going to focus on the most valuable hit. You know what it reminds me of? Hmm. It reminds me of the Warriors and the Rockets shooting a shot that's worth more points. So they're altering the math. And so we're altering the math of baseball at the same time where we're saying, okay, tell you what, don't get a double, don't get a single, just hit the ball over the fence. And Chris Davis is like, okay, but tell you what, I'll only do it a third of the time. Yeah. That's, yeah. Well, a third of my hits, not a third of the time. That would be amazing. That's yeah. Barry Bond stuff right there. Yeah. He had, so he had four, 142 hits on the season, 48 of which were home runs, and then 175 strikeouts. Whoa. All right. So he's striking out more often than he's hitting, but when he's hitting, it's a very productive hit. Right. And that's, and that's a lot happening. Of the time. And that's happening all over the, the major leagues, too. So we're, yeah. I think for the first time ever, we had three players in the same year get over 200 strikeouts. But in that same year, we have. The, the Yankees breaking the record for, or the Red Sox breaking the record for the most home runs in, in, a, in a year by a team. Yeah, it's interesting how analytics progresses, right? So you've, for anyone who's read the book or seen the movie Moneyball, the premise of, of it was that there was um, value in players who had high on-base percentage, right? And they're, these weren't necessarily like the marquee players, and so they weren't getting big contracts, so there was an inefficiency in the market. And so, so you could sign these players pretty cheaply while still getting a lot of production out of them because, because the A's were looking at, at factors like walks and singles and hit by pitch and things that, that would lead, you know, how disciplined a player is at, at the plate versus how many home runs he's hitting. Their, their theory was that if you're on base more, you'll score more. And it seems like at least there's a, there's a strain of analytics that's, that's saying, yeah, on-base percentage is, 
is good and may lead to more runs, but what, what will definitely lead to more runs are home runs. Right, that makes sense. That that was the next step, right? Yeah. And and the important thing for the o- Oakland Athletics at that time, the Oakland A's at that time, was that they uh, they didn't have a lot of money to give. Mm-hmm. So baseball is not salary capped, right? So a small market team was like, okay, we can't go for, we can't go for the big name players and the big money players. Let's just get as efficient as we can with our money. And that's what they did. And that's what salary cap teams do all the time. So NBA and NFL teams, like the Patriots are amazing at this. They don't go for the best player. They go for the best value. Yeah. And that's what they do. And so that's what the A's did, except they were doing it in a salary, uh, a non-salary cap sport. Right? Yeah. And, and we have to be careful. It's not what the A's did. It's what the A's do. Yeah. Because they yeah. still have one of the lowest payrolls in baseball. In fact, uh, Billy Bean, their, their general manager... He was uh, approached by a reporter this week, and he said the reporter said, um, asked him, um, "Do you know that your payroll is less than the Red Sox luxury task luxury what? tax?" To which Billy Bean just laughed, right? But but it's true. the The A's are, um, I think, somewhere in the 60, 60, 65, 68 million dollars for their payroll. And the uh, the Red Sox have over two hundred million dollars in payroll, and a good uh, a good chunk is going to to luxury tax. It's greater than than the A's payroll. That's crazy. And yeah. so what what the Red Sox did, what finally put them over that one hundred plus year curse, was they took Billy Bean's ideas and concepts, but threw millions and millions a bunch of dollars of money more at it. it. Right. Yeah. So so this Moneyball idea suddenly had a bunch of money behind it. Yeah. And then the Red Sox break the curse, mm-hmm. and then the same thing happens where Chicago. So that, that's yeah, that's how these that's how these curses get broken. They look at the analytics, yeah. they take these numbers, and they really figure them out. These cybermetrics, right? Mm-hmm. And then they throw millions and millions of dollars at them, and we get you know we get these teams that break these curses and that win. Yeah, and so you see that you see a team like the A's, they they have the the formula down, but they don't have the money, right? And so every few years they make a really good run. They made the playoffs this year. They're in the wild card game against the Yankees in the American League, and so they'll get to the playoffs every few years. Um, but it's hard to maintain that level of play if you don't have, if, if you're not able to, if you're not ponying up for these, these big time players who produce consistently at that level. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, so now please talk about Max Muncy. Okay. Please talk about Max Muncy. Max Muncy, he's, um, first baseman for the Dodgers. He's not an everyday player. He really, um, mostly plays when there's a right-handed pitcher. He'll come in and, and pinch hit as well if a, if a lefty starts, but then a righty comes in to relieve. So he's playing in most of the games at some point, but he um, he primarily plays first base, and then when they play American League, he'll, he'll DH. That swing. Um, he has a really, really pretty swing. If you watch the Home Run Derby, uh, it's super repeatable. He did really well there. Um, and he wasn't known as a home run hitter before this year. In fact, he wasn't even really known before this year yeah he came out of nowhere to me speaking of of the A's he was he was on the A's uh in the A's organization he played in 2015 and 2016 for the A's uh I think he he hit like three home runs one year two home runs the next year um but then he was cut in in uh, at the end of spring training in 2017 and was on his couch. I mean, this guy was just like at home wondering if his baseball career was over at age 26. And this is one of the awesome things about sports. There are there are so many great athletes uh, and so few opportunities for them. And so there are professional 
there are athletes out there that have the capacity to be stars in leagues that just don't get the opportunity or don't don't peak at the right time and so so we never hear of them max muncie was on track to be one of those those guys even though he made it to the majors he really didn't have an impact at all he was cut he was at home the dodgers somehow they, they seem to do this every year they did this last year with chris taylor they find a guy who didn't work out somewhere and they give him a shot i'm sure what happened is someone saw a slow motion capture of his swing and said, why is this guy sitting on a couch? He should be swinging the bat and hitting home runs for us every day. Yeah. And, and oh, so, yes. swing. So, so they gave him a contract, and um, he, um, he got a little bit of, of run early on because the Dodgers had some injuries, and he just kept hitting home runs. In fact, he hits a home run every 11.3 at-bats, give or take, which leads Major League Baseball. He would, he could be the, he would probably be the home run leader if he played every day. Uh, although that... that average may go down because he doesn't he tends not to face left-handed pitchers who he struggles against but when he's when he's in he's productive and he's hit 35 home home runs this year uh and he's he's a big part of why the dodgers are in the postseason and why they won the nl west well he's had big home runs not just in in the uh in the tiebreaker game he had a big home run yeah and uh leading up to uh the tiebreaker game he hit a, a couple of big home runs didn't he or at least one big home run yeah, no, he's he's been a major factor in their in their September run, especially late September when they when they uh, swept the Rockies and they um, they really put some uh, they closed the gap on on both the Rockies and the Diamondbacks before the Diamondbacks fell away. And you know how they did it? Max Muncy's gorgeous swing, mm. <laughs> uh, among other things. Mm, that swing, man. Yeah. Um, one other thing about baseball this year that I. I don't think we can we can not talk about it's Christian Yelich. You yeah. may not have heard of him because he's he's not playing for a major team. He's well, he on, played in Miami, so he, he played in Miami, uh, where where good things go to die. And and if you're already there, uh, even even John John Carlos Stanton, who was he was the MVP last yes, year, he right? Was. Yep. But like the only reason he was on SportsCenter was because he was hitting monster home runs, right? If he were just a really good player. We wouldn't have really cared because no. he was on the Marlins. But he was he was hit 50 home runs, which is rare these days. Yeah, he hit 50 home runs, uh, won the NL MVP, and then uh, the new general manager and president of baseball operations, Derek Jeter, a former Yankee, sends him where the Yankees in a yeah. trade. Like, huh? That didn't look suspicious at all. <laughs> anyway, once a Yankee, always a Yankee, yeah. right? Cap. So so if you if you remember. Um, at the beginning, or in last offseason, the Marlins, like David was just saying, they got new ownership, new management, and they shipped out all their best talent. Uh, Carlos Stanton and Christian Yelich and several others. Well, Yelich, um, everyone knew he was a, he was a good young player. Um, and in fact, I was, you know rooting for the Dodgers to try to trade for him I was even hoping they'd give up you know not hoping they'd give up but I would be okay with them giving up some of their their top young prospects because um just because of what I had read about this guy and and watching some highlights of him well he had he had an okay first half of the season with the Brewers but something happened prior to the all-star break starting the second half and and he just he turned into the National League MVP, which he will win. I don't think there's any question. He's going to win. David, listen to some of these second-half stats. If you insist. Okay. Uh, batting average for the second half of 2018, 367. Whoa. Okay. Um, home runs, 25. Wow. Runs, 58. 
RBI, 67. Walks, 35. Basically, in every major statistical category, he'd be first. Right? In and the it, second half. In the second half. And for the year, for the National League, I think he's first in batting average, second in RBI, and second in home runs. Yeah, he was real close to winning. It came down to the very last game. It came down to game 163 mm-hmm. as yeah. to who was going to be the leader in these categories. He almost won the triple crown. Yeah, it's to the point where he gets up to bat, and you just kind of pencil in that he's going to get on base. He definitely has a good at-bat every time. Yeah, there's really no wasted at-bats with him. So he's really fun. It makes me sad that he's in the National League and not on the Dodgers because the Dodgers uh, will likely face him in the playoffs if they if if they intend to move on to the World Series. I imagine they're going to play the Braves. The Braves are playing really good baseball right now. Um, we'll see how they do when the rosters go down to 25 men. This is kind of like for baseball nerds, but for some reason in September the rosters expand to 40 players, so the managers have a lot uh, more players to choose from. Generally, it's a 25 man roster. The rosters go back down to 25 in the in the playoffs, and so managers can't be as what are you? I guess aggressive with their bullpen. They can't just throw out relievers for one batter at a time like they'll often do in September, and they can't platoon as much um, with the with the infielders. This is maybe boring, but but I think much of the success of the Brewers in September was because they had a lot of arms and players to choose from. But that advantage will go away in September, so it'll be interesting interesting to watch. I'm excited for the real baseball season to start. I'm really excited. I'm not excited for the barrage of L.A.-centered <laughs> tweets and messages I'm about to get. But whatever. Yeah, if the, if the Dodgers like get swept or don't do well and they don't make it out of the first round, I'm going to be totally silent on it. But if, if they do well, I'm going to hit you up It's all I'm basically hear about. every hour on the hour. Yeah, I'm going to be teaching my class. My phone's going to be yeah. going off like crazy, and it's going to be <laughs> a bunch of annoying Dodgers texts and tweets. <laughs> you know, one, one weird thing, though, about the the postseason schedule um they they released a schedule i think it was last night or maybe early this morning and some of these divisional games they have starting at like one o'clock local time 3 p.m local time and they do that so that each game um gets its own you know two and a half three hours so that there's no there's no overlap among the games so that the stations are the only ones running the game at the time right and I guess that's okay, except for if you live in, if you are a fan of, like for example, the Houston Astros play this Friday at 1 p.m., 1:05 p.m. So if you're in Houston, and you want to support your team, and you've got a job, <laughs> like if you work for your money, you you're taking off Friday afternoon, maybe. But if you can't get it off, you're you can't watch your team. Right? You're doing what Anthony did. You're on an important conference call, and you're watching for updates on your phone. Yeah, and so. This this only really is a is a factor in the first round of the playoffs, but because there are so many games, there's a lot of games. But but why does it need to be this way? I mean, baseball is really, I think it still is a regional sport until you get to the league championship series. Yeah, mo- most markets are are regional markets still. Very few teams are national teams in baseball these days. And so I don't think it's a big deal to have multiple games going on at the same time, so that these games are played at night, so that the fans, the local fans can actually go to the ballpark and support their team, or if not, at least just watch the team on TV. Um, I don't know. It feels like, it feels like baseball thinks it's a national sport when it's, it's not really, especially at this stage, right? When it gets to the world series, definitely. But at that point you're not competing with any other games. So, right. Well, I feel like that was a, that was enough baseball talk. Can (laughs) Can we get to one of our favorite segments? I'll allow it. Okay. Let's go. Let's move on to one of our favorite segments. And that segment is, Sneaky Good Golfer of the Week. All right. I love Sneaky Good Golfer of the Week. 
And uh, I think I'll go with my nominee for Sneaky Good Golfer, if that's okay, Anthony. Okay. Okay, we, we had a little bit of a debate about who the Sneaky Good Golfer of the Week was this week. Okay. Yep. But uh, my nominee for Sneaky Good Golfer of the Week is mm-hmm. Europe. Ah, Europe, but of course. That's French. Oh, is that what that was? That was French. Okay. Because <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I couldn't tell. <laughs> okay, yeah. It was, you don't speak French. No, I don't. Yeah. So, so that threw me off because I don't speak French. That was French. So anyway, Europeans are better at golf than Americans. <laughs> they were this week. Well, I think history has shown that they're just better. Yeah. They did it. They invented it. They have a few hundred years on us, right? And, and everything. That's true. That's why, we're, that's why we're not good soccer players. Right. But we do have a few hundred years on them in being awesome. So we got that going for mm-hmm. us. And space travel. Yeah. Take that, Europe. <laughs> have you been to space, Europe? I don't think so. So the U.S. lost the Ryder Cup again. It seems to happen on every time they play. Roughly. Yeah. Approximately every time. I don't care enough to look it up, though. I, I didn't either. Okay, <laughs> next segment. You know, what, one, one thing golf-related, though, is that, and it's not an excuse for them losing, but there was some, some infighting among the U.S. squad. Were they infighting because they were losing, though? No, in fact, actually, the reports were that, that Dustin Johnson and Brooks Kepka. A former good golf, sneaky good golfer of the week. Right. <laughs> uh, he, uh, they were fighting on the way over. So there was some fight, and, and they were fighting among who was paired with who. Patrick Reed was upset because he wasn't paired with Jordan Spieth. It was just really weird. It seemed like it was like kind of a toxic environment uh, for the team. I don't know that that really affected play, but like, why are we getting so upset about the Ryder Cup? I mean, it, I don't know. It's not a big deal to me. I, it's probably a big deal to them, but... Uh, Stop your whining and win a golf thing. Yeah. Okay? Just stop your whining and win a golf thing. Swing better. I mean... Hit the ball where, you know, towards the hole and then in the hole eventually. Faster than you did the last time. Stop whining and win the... I can't even speak. Stop whining and win the Ryder Cup. Nailed it? Bobo Waltos. Thanks. All right, so I have my hot take minute that we do every week, yeah. and it's definitely a, a fan favorite. And when I say fan favorite, I mean it's our fans' favorite, our one yeah. fan's favorite. But it's the fan's favorite. Yeah, it's the, it's the fan's favorite segment. It's my favorite segment. Or I'm excited to introduce a new segment that is just for Anthony called Fantastic Headlines of the Week. Anthony, are you ready with your fantastic headlines? No, I'm not. Okay, perfect. <laughs> okay. All right. This is, this is the workshop edition. Should we do that live? Should we maybe... Okay, whatever, whatever. Okay. Let's, just, let's go. Let's just go. Okay, ready? This what? is... What? I feel like I need to explain what's happening here. Ooh. Okay, <laughs> go ahead. Well, okay. As you've come to expect, we often start the show and end the show with some kind of funny or odd news story, right? And, poop. And you all know how, how hard I work scouring the internet yeah. for these interesting stories to, to tell you. Like a dog with a bone. I don't know what that means. You dig. Oh, good. Okay. And often there are five, six, 15 stories that I would just love to share, um, but they either get put to the side for the next week or forgotten, and and I never get to to tell them to you. It sounds like you're never going to get to tell these today. (laughs) So... What what I'm going to try to do here is just give you some of these headlines, maybe a little bit of color to them, but 
but there are so many awesome stories that that we just can't get to every show. So I just wanted to run through those. So these are like the honorable mention yes. crazy new stories of yes, the week. Yes, that's right. So could you have just said that, <sighs> David? Okay, and now for the first time ever, and hopefully the last. Just kidding. <laughs> wow. I want to do this every week. Actual headlines. Yes. Okay. Anthony's fantastic headlines of the week. Deputies roundup escaped camel in Illinois. <laughs> Actually, that one sadly ended with the camel's death. No. That's <laughs> true. Well, it's in Illinois. I imagine it's not its native environment. Rock thrown at bulletproof glass hits burglar in the face. Please tell me he was the rock thrower. Yes. He, yes. He used to rock to break into a, a store or bank, I can't remember, uh, and then went up to the front counter, threw the rock at the glass, and it bounced back and hit him in the face. He was laying on the ground for a few minutes. Police are still searching for him. Book order takes 20 years for delivery. Okay, this is a really cool story. This grandma, she was like 60 at the time, ordered a set of Dr. Seuss books for her grand, her four-year-old grandchild. They got lost in the mail for 20 years. Okay, they just showed up, and she now is able to read them to her great-grandchild, who's five. Don't do the math. I'm not going to. <laughs> Injured turtle gets Lego wheelchair. Did he build his own wheelchair? <laughs> that was my first question. If he did, this needs to be a main story we read. No, apparently someone at the zoo was like a, a Lego enthusiast and a master builder and uh, this turtle had a cracked uh, portion of its shell and couldn't put any like weight on it and so they made a wheelchair out of Legos dope um, yeah I'm I'm sure they're gonna be hearing from PETA soon I'm sure there's some kind of violation there uproar okay or Lego yeah, or Lego parakeet found stuck in cupboard at IKEA store okay one the owner of the parakeet was probably in Ikea? Uh, maybe. Is it a runaway parakeet? Yeah. This is the problem with animals. They don't speak English, so you can't know why they do the things they do. Okay, that makes sense. Okay. Woman sets Guinness surfing record for shredding 68-foot wave. Okay, Google this. It's a Brazilian surfer. 68-foot wave. It's massive. It looks like she's going to die. <laughs> I don't mean to laugh at her that dying. That made you laugh. I'm sorry. No, no. It's just because we, we've seen videos of these giant surfer things before, and just they're so ridiculous. Yeah. You can't help but laugh at them because it is insane. No, it it is crazy. They, they look like they're moving so fast. Yeah, and, um, and the wave almost gets her several times. It's a really cool video. Check it out. Uh, <laughs> truck tows bale of hay on fire in Kansas. I don't see how that's a news story. It sounds like Kansas to me. In, in other news, Wednesday, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, but here's the, here's the funny thing about it is this story was reported because someone who, who was driving saw the truck pass with this bale of hay in a trailer on fire, like a big fire, and they're recording it the whole time. And they're, they were quoted as saying, um, yeah, the, the driver looked at me kind of funny. I don't think he knew that, that his trailer was on fire. Want to know why? Because Kansas. Yeah, but but that's like so 2018, right? It's not like, oh, look, there's a guy whose trailer's on fire. I should go help him. It's let me record this. Oh, weird. He he doesn't even know. And then the guy just like keeps on driving. He's like laughing in the video. <laughs> help a brother out. His bell of hay is on fire. Woman crafts wedding dress from 40 empty bags, empty cement bags. Um, are there pictures to uh, 
There are pictures. She tied them together intricately. It's in it's in China. I don't think she was like super poor. I don't think it was like out of necessity. I think it was more of like an artistic expression for some reason. But they call her like the cement empress or something like that. So she's apparently gained some notoriety for it in China. And then finally, seal slaps kayaker with octopus. This story was actually <laughs> sent to us by uh, my sister-in-law, David's sister, Lisa. Shout out, Lisa. And um, it's actually a really funny video. The seal and octopus were fighting to the death. I think the seal wanted to eat the octopus. Octopus maybe wanted to eat the seal. Either way, they're fighting. The seal gets a hold of it and flings it. And one of the tentacles of the octopus slaps a kayaker right across the face. And it looks like, it looks like the seal slapped the kayaker on purpose. It looked <laughs> like his whole purpose in grabbing that octopus was to slap that guy, give him a little octopus slap right in the face. Yeah. That's what it looks like. It's great. Are you wondering how to end this segment? And scene. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> and scene. Those were the funny, fantastic stories I wish we could have got to in more depth this week, um, but it didn't quite make the cut. I like it. Hey, maybe we'll do it again next week. Yeah. Um, you know what did make the cut this week, though? Huh? NFL. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Right? Okay. I'm going to start the NFL talk okay. with, uh, with Chiefs-Broncos from last night, yeah. the Monday night game. Okay. That was so exciting. So Patrick Mahomes, he seems like he's for real. Mahomes. Yeah. Hmm. What? Huh? Rolling with Mahomes. No, don't. Home sweet Holmes? Home sweet Mick Holmes, maybe? Mick Holmes? I, I for, sorry, there's a C in there. That's my bad. Anyway. Patrick. <laughs> that was um, Irish. In case you don't speak it. Yeah, I don't speak Irish, so that's good. Thank you. But he uh, he looked really good in a very tough environment. For some reason, at uh, in Denver, not for some reason, obviously, home field advantage, yeah. Denver's defense shows up at home. They're one of the toughest home defenses to play against, man. Mm-hmm. With Von Miller and other pass rushers and things like that, they disguise their blitzes and disguise their coverages so well. You figure a young quarterback who's pretty new to the league is going to struggle against a defense that, that hides their blitzes and hides their coverages really well, and the Broncos are always great at that. Remember years ago when they would all line up like it was a punt, and they're like nine guys level with the line of scrimmage, and then they just all spread out like crazy? Yeah. I mean, they, they do stuff like that still, not quite like that, but similar types of stuff to hide packages. But Mahomes handled it very well. He handled it really, really well. He was able to lead a comeback and, and get the Chiefs a W. And so that was really impressive by him. But I mostly want to talk about the, the play at the end on fourth and like 10 mm-hmm. when the Broncos try for a hook and ladder. Okay, so they tried for hook and ladder. Right, yeah. And uh, there was about 16 seconds left when the player would have caught the ball. Right. So he, he goes to make the catch. He, he makes a kind of clean catch. And he goes to make the pitch, but as he's making the pitch, a defender from from Kansas City gets his hands in there, knocks the ball away, it goes down to the ground. Um, The Chiefs recovered it, but it wasn't a fumble. They rule it an incomplete pass. Either way, turnover on downs, and the Chiefs win. And what drives me nuts about this is everybody's so ready to play the result. It didn't work, therefore it was a bad decision. But if it goes the other way, and Mm -hmm. the hook and ladder works, and they score a touchdown, which they would have if they would have completed that pitch, Vance Joseph, the Broncos uh, coach, is a hero, and I'm really... uh, um, uh, shooting myself in the foot here because I think this is like a major part of Dave Sautek minute, but whatever, <laughs> you'll get it twice. But but uh, if it works, he's a hero. If it doesn't work, he's a dum dum. Yeah. And it's like we need to stop playing the result. Was it a good decision based off of the, the decision, the play call itself? And I think it was a good call. It was the right call. They needed a touchdown. Yeah. What better time get, to pull a play out like that? Yeah. Yeah. I get. 
I I agree. I I don't think um I don't think he was I don't think it was a bad move to try it. I I think there was enough time to go down, spike the ball, and get one more shot at the end zone. Maybe there is a chance though the clock runs out. So and as at, when you're playing in the moment, I mean you know I've never played professional sports, but even just playing like high school sports, you don't have you don't always have exact awareness of how much time's left on the clock, how far you need to go to get a first down, like. You know, we, you don't have that yellow line <laughs> on the field when you're playing. You don't have a clock in your field of vision all the time. So, you know, he could have thought there were five seconds left. It's it's, it's hard to know. So but, I don't blame him for a, doing that. But as a as a player, the clock was stopped. They called this play in the huddle. So as a player, at that point, you're just doing what your coach calls, right? Yeah. So the the coach's job is it's not the player's job to know how much time is left on the clock all the time. That's a quarterback and whatever. The receiver gets to play as quickly as he can. He goes and he runs that play, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. But what what I liked about the play call was it showed a lot of guts. And if it worked, it would have been the call of the year. Vance Joseph would be like, oh, is he the coach of the year and stuff? Because he finally beat the mighty Kansas City Chiefs. But we're busy playing the results. But I think it was the right call. And if there's any blame, it's it's on Case Keenum for totally overthrowing Demarius Thomas on the play before. He, I had, he had him in full stride, no defender within five yards. He's like... Eight yards from the end zone. If he would have caught it, easy touchdown, game over. And this dude's and like just, six seven. It's hard to just overthrew him. him. He just overthrew him. Yeah. So, so. And, and I think this shows Case Keenum did amazing things with the Vikings, but the Vikings have some of the best skill guys in the league, especially at wide receiver. So yeah. I, Case Keenum, while the Broncos were all excited to get him, uh, we just saw what Case Keenum's about. He's gonna he's gonna miss throws that he has to make. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, I don't know. I I, I didn't love the... Uh, I'm, I'm kind of a closet Broncos fan because uh, my dad grew up in uh, in Denver and stuff, but whatever. So, I, I I was kind of grumpy by that, but it was cool <laughs> to see Mahomes do cool things. Like, his left-handed throw, you remember that? He was scrambling to the left. He was oh, scrambling yeah. to the left. Someone, they got a hold of his right hand or something, so he, like, throws it left-handed better than I could have thrown it right-handed at that time and made a huge play for a completion. It was pretty impressive. Yeah, they were they were closing in on him, and he wouldn't. he didn't have time to kind of set his feet and turn his body so that he can make a, a right-handed throw. So he just he shot put it with his left hand to Tariq Kill and, and got a first down. It was an amazing play. You know the weird thing about watching that game? Um, Joe Tessitore was calling it. Yeah. Okay. What, and he's a, he's a great announcer. But for the longest time, and I think, you know, for long-term term sports fans, you associate him with boxing. He, he was he's the the ESPN boxing voice okay and growing up I played this game called Fight Night it was a boxing game and it was his voice and so okay. anytime anytime I hear his voice I instantly like and put on like high alert <laughs> because I'm I'm like in fight night mode right like that that fighter that that virtual fight or flight response is in total fight mode and you're That's like right. ready to box somebody yeah I'm ready to throw a right hook I'm ready to to bob and weave but you're actually sitting there holding your baby watching Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> That's right. So it's, it's, it's a very confusing experience for me to listen to Joe Tessitore as I watch football. It just doesn't. There's some some of the synapses aren't quite connecting there. Okay. Speaking of synapses not connecting. So uh, Earl Thomas hasn't connected very well with his, uh, his team this year, right? Yeah. So there was a little situation where he's running to defend a pass and he, uh, he hits his shin on somebody or something and breaks his leg. Yeah. And he's on the ground. He's upset because if you follow the situation a little bit, he wanted to either get an extension. So he wanted to stay in Seattle and get an extension yeah, he's on or his, the get last, traded. Yeah, he's on the last year of his deal. Right. right. 
And so he was hoping to get something like that done. The The Seahawks were like, no, we're not going to do that. We're just going to hang on to you. And so he was upset at the situation. He didn't practice for a while. He wanted to hold out and things like that. It was a really tense situation. Mm-hmm. So as they're carting him off, they're carting him off next to the, the Chiefs sideline because that's where that's the side he was on. So they're carting him off next to the Chiefs sideline. The Chiefs are like patting him on the shoulder pads and stuff like that. And he flips his own sideline, the middle finger. Yeah. And so there was a little bit of tension there, right? A little bit of tension. And I see both sides of this. I see the Seahawks saying, see, that's why we didn't pay you. And this is, and, and Earl Thomas is going, see, that's why I was holding out. Yeah. And it's such a crappy situation for these NFL players because th- th- I feel like they're super powerless. And I feel like these NFL owners have all the power in this situation. Mm-hmm. And Le'Veon Bell is taking this up as a battle cry. And he's like, see, this is why I'm doing this. I'm not doing this just for me. I'm doing this for future players. Which I think sounds like a noble stance, but ask any Pittsburgh Steelers fan how they feel about Le'Veon Bell and his holdout, and they won't see it as noble as he does. Yeah, it's kind of a lose-lose situation for the player. Because if they if they hold out and they get their money, like you were saying, they're not the team player. Yeah, and if, if they do hold out, and if the whole league holds out, like if the whole league sits out and strikes or whatever, they don't benefit. Future players and future generations benefit from it. So they're going to lose out on all their money for the hope that mm-hmm. future players get paid. Yeah, and... I wish there was a simple solution to this. I thought about like ways you can adequately compensate these players because it's it's not as bad as some other sports where uh, you don't really get paid until later, m- much much later in your in your career. Like in baseball, you can you can almost reach like age thirty before you're really making good money, and by then your production really starts to dip. Albert but, Pujols. Yeah. Albert Pujols is a great example of that. But in baseball. The contracts are guaranteed. So when you get your money, you keep your money. In football, many contracts are not guaranteed. And so if you get if you get injured in the final year of your deal, like an Earl Thomas, um, or you you just don't play very well, you signed a four-year deal and in year two you're not playing well, the team can release you and they don't owe you any more money. There's some exceptions to that. But so I thought, what about like a merit-based system where everyone had like a, a base salary, I don't know, a million dollars, and then depending on your position and your stats and other criteria, you had performance incentives. And maybe each team sets that, maybe it's a league decision, uh, you know, in conjunction with the Players Association. So that's like one idea, is, is completely merit-based. And all at the end of the year, you have, you know, each team would still have to pay out they call it the 89% rule. Each team would still have to pay out 89% of of the salary cap of of the salary cap. Right? So at that point, you just allocate whatever's left evenly amongst your players. Either that, or you do it pro rata based on what they had accumulated to that point, right? And so, so some kind of merit based system. But then you get into issues where players are being more self oriented than team oriented. Yeah, because that's not happening. <laughs> <laughs> so you might have a quarterback audibling what would have been a draw to I'm gonna throw I'm gonna throw into the flats right and I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna dunk it off right and, and let the guy run 70 yards and so I can get paid right, right. Or I'm gonna lead a receiver you know into a, a horrible tackle but I want I want that extra reception on my on my stats and so you could you could have some perverse incentives there where where players are are uh, more self-interested than, than team-interested. So merit-based may not work 
entirely. Well, I think of I think of like Julio Jones, for example, who's on pace to get over two thousand yards receiving this season, but scores zero touchdowns. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So if I if I were Julio Jones, I would be like, no, you got to pay me per yard. But that's not the way the Falcons set it up. The Falcons like per touchdown. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it, that gets to really difficult, hairy situation. Yeah. So that was that was option one, and I think there's a lot of of uh, uh, problems with it, but it's. It, it, you know, it could be worked out. Now, number two, um, and I don't know exactly how this NFL salary cap works, all the all the ins and outs of it. But one thing is that most of these contracts are not not guaranteed, right? So what if? And it's not like any of these NFL owners are losing money, right? So this would this would cost the NFL owners a little bit of money, more money than they're giving it up right now. But I think it would do so much to to improve relationships between the players and the owners if you just if you guarantee every contract was guaranteed and and how you could how you could help the team because what their fear is that if it's guaranteed this is such an injury prone league what if you know a third or quarter of my roster is injured and i'm already at the salary i've maxed out on the salary cap yeah you can't get more guys and so my proposal would be is that any guaranteed money doesn't count against the cap for purposes of injured or released players. So once a player is injured or released, the team is still obligated per contract to pay that player, but it doesn't count towards the salary cap. That's right. I'm impressed that I got that because I was busy watching a guy get uh, get thrown out at second base by a Cubs outfielder. That was amazing. We've got the Cubs Rockies wild card game on. Yeah, um, right now it's one nothing uh, Rockies in the top of the seventh. Yeah. So it's pretty uh, pretty exciting game here. Yeah, and so so what this does is it alleviates some of the concern that you have. Where are you still talking I, about football? Yes. I am. Okay. Cool. <laughs> where look at that throw? You know, we may not want to give this money to to oh, players Chris because Bryant pegged him. In the air too. That was like from the from the left field wall. Good tag. Nice play, man. And that was an important one too because there's only a it's a one run game. That was clutch. That was a clutch double play right there. Anyway, you were saying. I think we can move on. <laughs> man, he started to slide pretty early. Anyway, he probably knew he was out. Mm-hmm. This is a great segment. Well, it was until you went on and on about about football contracts. I think that was interesting. What uh, something that came up over the weekend? Is- oh no, they're gonna review it. No, old guy's gonna look at a computer for a second. Oh, this is the worst. Baseball reviews take forever. Okay, they take for- don't I turn just, it off. I turned the game off. Oh. Okay, so something interesting that happened over the weekend. There were a few instances where the coaches had the, the decision of whether to go for it or not on fourth down. And I wanted to highlight two games in particular. The Titans versus Eagles and Colts versus Texans. So in the Titans versus Eagles game, the Titans were down 23-20 in overtime. They had a fourth and two from the Eagles 32. All right, so they had 32 yards to go for a touchdown. They were in field goal range, and Mike Vrabel, the head coach, sent out the field goal unit. But then he had a change of heart. He called a timeout. He called back the, the, the field goal unit and decided to go for it. And they converted a pass. Oh, they were able to do it. <laughs> they were yes, converted a pass and ended up scoring a touchdown to win twenty six to twenty three. Titans are three and one. Vrabel's doing a heck of a job with this team. I think a lot of people are, are impressed. Um, they're leading the division right now. Um, wait, wait, the AFC South though, right? Yes. Okay, but well. but still, yeah, okay, but okay. still versus they're 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 overperforming their expectations. Okay. Um, but but the so the decision was: Do you go for the field goal and tie in overtime, or or do you go for the win? 
And they chose, in that situation, fourth and two from the Eagles, 32, to go for the win. And they took down defending Super Bowl champs. All right, Colts versus Texans. There were two instances in overtime of going for it or not going for it for, for on fourth down. First one, Colts and Texans were tied 31-31 in overtime. And the Colts had... Also a fourth and two from the Texans, 26. So definitely within field goal range. Definitely within field goal range. Um, Fourth and two. They only needed two yards to get the first down. They decided to kick the field goal and go up 34-31. The field goal was good. The Texans then had the the ball on their possession. They also kicked a field goal. So now we're tied 34-34. On the Colts' second possession, they had a fourth and four from their own 43. Okay? Which means they were on their side of the field. They still had 57 yards to get a touchdown. That was good quick math. <laughs> Thank you. Um, now, they where they didn't decide to go for it, fourth and two from their from the Texans 26, they do decide to go for it, fourth and four from their own 43. They go for it. They do not convert. The Texans have the ball with 24 seconds to go. They get a big pass play, gain, gain 25 yards, kick a field goal on the next play to win the game as time expires. Okay. Now, I don't fault anyone for going for it on fourth and short. There's a there's a formula. We won't get into it that much, but there's a formula. New York Times, other, other organizations um, have put out different analyses on, on when you should go for it on fourth down, and it's more often than you think. Um, like Madden. Like on Madden, yeah. Like, do you ever punt when you play Madden? <laughs> yeah. Essentially, if you're on your side of the field, Almost always you're going to go for it unless it's like fourth and very long. Okay? That makes sense because it's like decent field. It's difficult field position for the other team anyway. Mm-hmm. So you might as well try your luck and go for it. Yeah. And so what I, again, I'm not going to fault the Colts for going for it on fourth and four from their own 43. That actually is one circumstance where like the simulation says you should not go for it, but it's very close. The simulation actually has on a fourth and four, you can go for it. If you're inside your own 45. So they were two yards outside of it. According to this formula. According to this formula. Okay, what I do fault the Colts for is inconsistency. Okay? If you have a fourth and two from the Texans 26, you're that close to the end zone, and a touchdown will win it in overtime? Why is the thinking different for that fourth and two than it was for the fourth and four? Because you're... A fourth and four with 20-something seconds left to go, the chances of scoring are minimal. You may as well just punt it and make the Texans um, march the entire length of the field, or at least until field goal range. Right. And so the inconsistency is what bothers me here. And that ma- Yeah, that makes perfect sense to me. And I wish more teams would go for the win. I wish more teams would do what the Broncos did because they had just as good of a chance of converting that, that hook and ladder as they did to get that 10 yards and spike it and then run another play to get it, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I, I wish more teams would go for it. I just wish they would be smarter about it because those two yards, that would have changed the game for the Colts, right? Yeah, and and what you're saying is you trust your defense to stop the Texans from getting a field goal. If I have the choice between Andrew Luck getting two yards and my defense holding holding the Texans to like less than 50 yards. Uh, I'm going to go with Andrew Luck getting the two yards. Yeah. Every for time. Sure. For sure. Okay, listener. It's that time of the week that you've been waiting for, that I've been waiting for, because I get to check out for a minute. It's Dave's Hot Take Minute. Ready, David? 
Ready. Would you like to take uh, a few minutes to explain what we're doing here? No, I would not. Okay. On your mark, get set, go. Broncos coach Vance Joseph made a gutsy call that has made him a talking point. If it works, we celebrate him as the coach we want all coaches to be. It doesn't because a defender happened to get his hand in there at just the right time and we question him for a week. Sometimes the correct choice doesn't work out. That doesn't mean it was the wrong choice. Max Muncy's swing is the second most beautiful thing I saw yesterday. My wife is the most beautiful thing I saw yesterday. By a lot. Muncy's swing though. Ugh. Love you, sweetheart. I was talking to Max Muncy's swing. Kyrie Irving is finally coming around. Coming around. Speaking of basketball less than smartness, Malik Monk of the Hornets took off his warm-ups at the scorer's table before checking in and realized he forgot to put his jersey on. He had to go back to the locker room to get it. That will ruin the coach's planned rotations. Remember the Kawhi laugh? It was such... <laughs> basically, yeah. it was such a sensation that Kawhi was asked questions about it. He did not laugh or even smile when he responded. When he plugs himself in at night, does he dream? <laughs> we probably heard the last ever Kawhi laugh. It was like the last member of a species calling out for a mate. No response came. So the species died there, cold and alone on a windswept plain. Maybe Steven Spielberg could write and direct a movie about getting the DNA from that dead laugh and resurrecting it by combining it with the DNA from a Kyle Lowry laugh. Warning. What? Warning. Object and mirror are less fun than they say they are. I don't know what's going on. The Browns are back. Which means Spider-2Y Banana got his first win as the coach of the Raiders. Tell you what, man. Winning football is tough, man. The, co the coach the Raiders are paying $10 million a year is on pace to go 4-12. and 12, Which means he's on pace to get paid $2.5 million per win. If Bill Belichick were paid at the same, same per win rate over the last eight seasons, he would have gotten $30 million a year. Solo was an amazing movie. Star Wars fans who don't like it are like the people that complain about missing eight tracks in their cars. And Anthony, this might be my hottest take ever. All of the Star Wars movies are good. Yes, all of them. Are they perfect? No. But hey, your kids aren't perfect and you still love them. Jim Harbaugh and Nick Saban know exactly what I'm talking about. Now, I need time to prepare for the monsoon of irrational LA sports fandom about to crash into my life with the force of a JaVel McGee missed dunk attempt. Because that storm is coming hard. Well done. I don't think I got all of that. But I'll have, maybe on a re-listen. That was good. And and I have to agree. Max Muncy's swing is beautiful. Ugh, so beautiful. Um, okay, I'm not going to hit you over the head with this L.A. stuff, okay? Yeah, LeBron James played his first game And you as texted me about it as he was being announced. You texted me about it. Yeah, there were some some sweet passes from LeBron to his teammates. That they, was awesome. That, got, that pass, that little that little uh, slip pass he gave inside for that dunk, that was awesome. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he was when, when he was on the floor, everyone was like 10 times better than they otherwise would have been, but I'm not going to overact. It was the greatest thing I've ever seen, David. <laughs> there it is. The greatest. With the force of a JaVel McGee bricked dunk, here it comes. No. I'm backing away from the microphone. <laughs> Showtime is back. Okay. No, no, no. This isn't even... This is like... It can't... This can't be back because this has never been seen before. Okay? What, whatever's going to happen this season with the Lakers, I, I am in 
deep May playoff mode right now. You don't say. Yeah. I'm not going to say June because I'm not going to say we're going to win the finals. Give me another week or two. I might work my way into that. Heaven help me. <laughs> um, when LeBron James hit his first basket as a Laker, three-pointer, I I did stand up. I didn't jump. Um I was holding a baby. That's but, funny because neither Javel McGee can't jump either. No, not true. I, yes, I saw the LU. But not I saw true. The LU, okay. He changes the he changes the geometry of the game, David. <laughs> Explain yourself. What do you mean by that's, that? That's not my quote. That's a that's a Rob Palinka, general manager of the uh, of the Lakers. The guy who looks like Chris Traeger from <laughs> from Parks and Rec. Yes, the the Rob Lowe impersonator. Yes, he uh, when they signed Javel McGee. They were talking about his verticality, his ability to get up in the air. And and the quote is, he changes the geometry of the game. Well, Gumby changes the <laughs> geometry of TV, too. <laughs> Stretch up there. Uh, so, I, I again, not going to hit you over the head with this stuff. I'm super excited. They lost the first game, the preseason game, but the preseason doesn't matter in terms of wins and losses. Because then why players, are we talking about it so much? Because it gave us flashes of what can be. You've seen what flashes what it could be. We've seen LeBron teams I, for, for forever now. But I've not ever seen LeBron on my team. Yes, but he, okay, so so for you, it wasn't necessarily, you weren't surprised by what you saw because LeBron, I think, has ceased to surprise us when he plays amazing, no matter when or where he plays. But for you, it was just experiencing it on your team for the first time. Yeah. Brandon Ingram looks like a, an all-star playing with LeBron James. Yeah. yeah. So, so, okay, what you're experiencing now, <laughs> imagine the inverse of that, and that's what Cleveland is looking at right now. Oh, what a what a dark, sad place that must be. Right? They're like, okay, J.R. Smith, Kevin Love, score all our points. Good thing they have Baker Mayfield. On the oh, on the football team. On the football on team. On the football yeah. team. Oh, hey, by the way, he hey. didn't fumble. Yeah. Saying. Oh, and no, the, no, D- Derek Carr did fumble. That's my bad. He yeah. did. The Indians are in the playoffs, so we've got that to look forward to. Hey, Cleveland sports. Yeah, they're always relevant. Um, no, but the Lakers play again tonight. In fact, the game starts in five minutes, so I don't even know why we're still talking. Um, so you turned off. You you shut the playoff baseball off yep. so that we could finish our show. Mm-hmm. But you're going to finish the show early so you can watch preseason Lakers basketball. Okay, is there a question there? That, that's Yeah, I mean, uh, the, is that rhetorical? Or, I mean, what are we, what are we talking about here, Dave? This is this is my life for the next forever until LeBron James is off the Lakers. This is my life. This. Well, well then they're going to draft Bronny, and it's just going to keep it's just going to keep going. That's like four years away. I think LeBron yeah. is trying to rig everything so that they take away the rule that you have to know the one and done rule. They're gonna mm-hmm. he's going to want that out of the league so that his son can be on his team before his body falls apart. <laughs> can a robot's body fall apart? I, I guess know. if he's not oiled properly. Well, well, let me ask Kawhi. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't I don't play the lotto. What about you, David? Never have. Yeah. See, I grew up in I grew up in Southern Nevada, so like gambling, I always knew like the casino was going to win. They control the math, right? Yeah. So they're gonna win. So I I'm kind of gambling averse. Yeah. I'm not, lotto feels like gambling. Not a me. big fan of losing money, and and the lotto just feels like. <laughs> Like a tax, right? Like, I don't, why why do I want to pay the state more money than I have to? Um, well, some people who play the lotto actually win, right? That's the premise. <laughs> Good for them. But if you were to play the lotto, like, how would you pick your numbers? I, I would just pick random numbers because I know it's random. Yeah, I know it's so random. I would just go in blank and just pick numbers. 
Well, one one guy had a uh, a foolproof, it turns out, strategy for picking his lotto numbers. He actually used the numbers that came on the back of his fortune cookie. The uh, so if you if you ever open your your fortune inside a fortune cookie, it often it'll say like lucky numbers on the back. Sure. Well, this guy played his his lucky numbers, and he ended up he ended up winning. He won a million dollars. Right. Good for him. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's not the crazy part of the I guess the story. Right. He he actually didn't even realize he won. He went to see the clerk um because there was like a, a message when he when he when he when he did his ticket it said see clerk right so he goes sees the clerk and the clerk tells him hey you got a million dollars let's fill out the forms <laughs> apparently the first thing you have to do when you become a millionaire is fill out his paperwork talk about a buzzkill <laughs> yeah hey congratulations you're a millionaire sir please sign here sign here put your name here put your date date of yeah. birth here <laughs> so dave if you just got a million dollars you went from no dollars to a million like what would you do like what are the cool crazy things you would do oh i would i would take a trip to ireland and scotland okay i would either on boat like i would do a, yeah. one of those atlantic cruises where you spent like two weeks on the boat crossing the atlantic go yeah. to ireland scotland i would love that that'd be so cool and then i'd maybe do some other stuff in europe but i would definitely take a trip like that with my beautiful lovely wife who is more beautiful than max muncie swing <laughs> yeah i think all of us would do whatever that like cool fantasy we have that fantasy trip or that you know, the, swing though the oh. awesome the awesome toys that we've always wanted to get that we couldn't get like that that would that would be at the top of the list right um here's the craziest part of this story all right the guy who won said that he uh, plans to use the money to pay off his house and other bills and put the rest into savings what are you doing what this is the most responsible lottery winner of all time no he should be investing that Saving rates are garbage right now. Where were you? You should have been a 7-Eleven clerk. So I you should could have, have been. helped this I man. Have. Well, I kind of was. I was a teller at a bank. Okay. Kind of the same thing, apparently, except I never gave away money. I just took people's money. So there I, you think, go. I think there was more joy as a 7-Eleven lotto clerk. So we may have the first instance ever of a responsible lotto winner. I'm excited to see how this story plays out. I'm sad. Uh, I'm a bit cynical. And I'm hoping I don't read in a few weeks about how all his money's gone and and uh, living well, on the streets. Right, well, one thing's for sure: all of his former friends and like distant relatives suddenly are calling him up. He's the most popular guy on his block right now. Oh, for sure.